Welcome to the Live Your Dance Podcast. My name is Molly King, and I'm a former corporate working girl turned author, dancer, and coach. Each week we come together to celebrate someone who has found their metaphorical dance and listen to their insights in order to inspire you to find and live your dance. Thanks for tuning in and joining me today. Now, let's dance. Happy 2016, everybody. I'm so pumped to bring you a new season of the Live Your Dance podcast. We've been on a little bit of a hiatus, and now we are coming back at you with a ton of great episodes lined up for this winter and spring, and we are kicking it off with Pina Gallant. She is a yoga studio owner that I've met while living out here in Summit County, Colorado, and she has a beautiful location filled with amazing teachers and just an incredible energy in the studio. And I wanted to dive into what her story is because it seemed like there was more to it than just, oh, I started a yoga studio. So it turns out there is. And she brings us a beautiful story of where she came from, a 20-year career that took her all over the world when she was in software development and how she made the switch and what caused the shift. Not to mention how she's been building a business from scratch and the wisdom and knowledge that she lays down in this episode is pretty awesome. So without further ado, let's get to it. Well, hello and welcome back to the Live Your Dance podcast. I am here with my friend Pina Gallant. Is it Gallant or Gallant? It is. Good. It's Gallant. Good, good. good I've job. never said your last name, so there we go. And Pina is a new friend that I've met while I've been up in the mountains, and she started a studio, a yoga studio, where I've been taking class. And not only is she an amazingly inspiring woman, but so is all the people that work for her. And that kind of tipped me off on the fact that Pinna is much more than just a studio owner and that she had quite a story when we started talking. So I'm so excited that she's with us today. And Pinna, I'm so glad that you were um, willing to share your story with us. Oh, Molly, it's a pleasure. I mean, it's really an honor. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Yay. Awesome. Well, so Pinna, you have not always been Miss Yogi. In fact, you come. You told me you came from a very different background because I think a lot of yoga people have been in their past life a dancer or a athlete or or something that was, you know, not too far of a tangent into yoga. But where where did you come from before the studio life? Right. So I actually spent um, about. 20 years in software development. Whoa. So I worked, yeah, which, <laughs> which is about as linear and as far from yoga as you can get. But um, yeah. So I did that for about 20 years, and I worked in Denver for the majority of that time. I was also in Paris, France for a while. I was in San Francisco, mostly in the media space. Um, so that was how I was paying the bills for a mm. long time. Yeah. And I ended up 
I ended up in yoga, quite frankly, kind of by accident. <laughs> I, uh, I was living in San Francisco, and I had had some friends that were talking about hot yoga, and they weren't talking about it very nicely. They really didn't like it. <laughs> but it had me completely um, curious. And so one day I was going for a run, and I was running by the studio that was next to my um, apartment in Coal Valley. And as I was running by, they were opening. So I started asking the instructor questions about hot yoga. And so she's telling me all this stuff. And she was like, yeah, you should come check out the class at 11. I was like, okay. <laughs> so I go for my five mile run and I go home and I change and I go to 104 degrees and 40% oh, humidity for dang. 90 minutes, which, which really wasn't the best idea after no, a five mile run. Maybe but not. Um, I didn't pass out. And, and I really like that very first class, I got super addicted to yoga and I think the reason I got so addicted to it is because I mean like you said I wasn't an athlete in fact I had some pretty significant body image issues mm. and I debated whether or not I wanted to say this on the podcast but I guess I am um, <laughs> I had I had an eating disorder for six years in high mm. school and college yeah. significant body issues yeah yeah and I got into yoga and it was really like the first time that I felt really, really comfortable in my skin. Hmm. And I just literally started like reorganizing my life so I could get to yoga. Wow. That's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's huge. And, and what I love, I mean, gosh, our stories are very similar and parallel in many ways. Um, not only on the corporate side, but I too battled, especially in high school with body image issues and, um, a little bit of anorexia and things like that. But I think that's a huge problem with, with so many women. And I, and I know men too, but maybe not to the same extent. Um, but why, why do you think yoga was the place where you finally found that comfortableness inside your own skin? Well, I think because, um, there were some things that I was just immediately good at. I mean, there was a lot that I couldn't do, sure. but there was some stuff that I just immediately could do. And, and it was actually one instructor specifically looking at me saying, while I was in tree pose, I remember this moment mm. still like 15 years later. And she was like, you can totally get your foot way higher up than that. <laughs> and I did. And she was right. And I was like, oh my gosh, like someone like noticed me and they acknowledged me and they saw like physical potential in me and they were right. Yeah. Wow. That's it made it made a difference that I could definitely see that it's amazing what one comment like that can do for the psyche and for our morale emotionally exactly and realistically tree pose doesn't matter it doesn't matter if I can get into tree pose doesn't matter if I can get my foot into my hip crease or not like it's not going to make me a happier or better or more peaceful individual but <laughs> but being comfortable in your body like that starts to change everything. So it starts to change how you interact with other people. It starts to change how you interact in intimate relationships. Mm. It starts to change how you feel when you're standing next to someone who like kind of won the DNA lottery and really is the most beautiful girl in the room. Mm. And you realize that's okay. Yeah. Like, like I won a DNA lottery as well. Like I'm super lucky to have a healthy body to yeah. have mostly symmetrical features like yeah. a lot of things that that people don't have yeah so the fact that somebody else has more like no longer became an issue because I started to become grateful for what I have absolutely that, yeah 
And there's, I mean, there's a great, that's a great tangent just into the, the whole idea of comparison and competition. And I think yoga is one place where I've really appreciated that focus of, you know, it's not about the person next to you. It's about your practice and your mat and your response, your relationship with yourself. And with, you know, if, if yoga is your connection to higher power, then with that too, if not, you know, but I think that's a huge, a huge part of the whole kind of releasing that, that anxiousness of having to be the best or whatever it is. And like you said, as soon as we find that kind of calm and contentment and gratitude in ourselves, that spills over into so many different areas of life. And it starts on the mat for, for you and for so many people, which I think is a powerful, powerful place to really dive into those kinds of issues. Yeah, I agree. And, And once you start to get comfortable, like in your body, then you start like, whether you really intend to or not, I think for most people, like you start tumbling into the rest of the yoga practice, you start finding yourself calmer, you start finding yourself more capable of dealing with conflict in a, in a way that's respectful of everyone, like Mm. start finding more tolerance, more patience, less judgment. And some of it is just purely physiological. I mean, the breathing alone is going to calm your nervous system. If you're really engaging in it and, and working through it properly, it's going to work physiologically. It's going to chill you out. And then you start making better choices and you start having healthier relationships. And, and then a lot of people after that end up into a pretty big spiritual component as well. And not everybody goes there, but some people do. I think that humans are hungry for spirituality and I agree. there's, there's a lot in yoga that's, it's really comfortably available. I mean, just the concept that we're all truly connected and truly affect each other. As an instructor at the front of the room, you can feel the energy of the group and you can feel it shift and you can feel it change. And you can feel when people like drop into their Shavasana and are really relaxed. You can feel when there's anxiety. It's amazing. And you wow. can feel it after people leave. Wow. I mean, there are literally. There are literally places in the room. This is probably something I might not have said when I was in corporate America, but I'm not. <laughs> there are literally places in the yoga studio room that feel heavier, that feel denser. Hmm. Because people are just disposing of anxiety in those areas. So we have to work to clean the room, to keep the energy fresh, to keep the energy clean so that you can have your own experience. You're not adopting someone else's, but it's it's all really real. And the more I practice, the more I teach. Mm-hmm the more I don't question that. Wow. Wow. Yeah, no, I definitely I definitely could see that. And and it's so funny how far of a cry it is from that corporate, you know, hustle and bustle and the stress and and uh actually let's let's rewind a little bit cuz I love some of the things that you had told me before. Can you give me the brief story of how it is that you actually, you know, figured out that this job wasn't for you, the your corporate right. side, your IT stuff. Yeah. <laughs> how I figured out this job wasn't for me. Yeah. And, and to be fair, there were times on the corporate path that were like very challenging and fulfilling, but Mm -hmm. in the end it was not fulfilling and challenging. And, um, I watched two people get promoted ahead of me in one week. Hmm. Yeah. Um, my boss was very clear about the fact that I wanted a promotion 
and it hit me on a lot of levels. I mean, my ego took a hit yeah. and, you know, it seemed personal and I felt like I was failing and a lot of things happened when that went down. Yeah. But the most important is I said, I am not happy in this role and I'm not going to get happy in this role. <laughs> so I'm going to quit. Um, which was, it was a scary move, but like thinking about it was actually a lot scarier than doing it. Yeah. And once, once I quit, things just kind of fell into place. I mean, I quit and my thought was, well, I'm going to start a software company with one of my associates. And then my boss essentially said, no, you're not because your options agreement precludes you from that for 12 months. It's like, okay. All right. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go ski in the mountains because everyone else in Colorado has. So great. So I rent out my house in the city and I get a place in the mountains and I move all my stuff. And then the universe was like, mm, no, you're not. Cause it's November 11th and you just broke your leg. Oh, <laughs> oh geez. <laughs> right. That's right. a great welcome to ski season. But you know, in a way it was so brilliant because I think that I really, really, really needed to slow down. Mm. And my thought of, I'm going to move up to the mountains for six months and ski, like that wasn't my dharma. My dharma was, no, you're supposed to stay here. So we're going to take away this option of six months to ski because you're not going to ski. And now you're going to think about what it is to really live up here and be up here. Yeah. And then I decided I don't Whoa. That's and huge so too. And then I was trying to find a job that would really sustain me for the rest of my working years, which there's a substantial number still mm -hmm. um, with healthcare and mortgages and retirement funds, like all that stuff that starts to add up. Of course. And there was really nothing that was appropriate for my skill set that was going to work out. And so I was doing Reiki on a friend um, and Reiki's a Japanese form of energy healing. Oh, okay. So I was doing some Reiki on a friend of mine and she sort of spontaneously said to me, when are you going to open a yoga studio? <laughs> and, yeah, and six weeks later, we signed a lease. Holy cow. Yeah. That's... Yeah, so that, that's kind of the whole story of how I ended up opening a studio in Summit County. My intention wasn't to open a studio. I mean, I'd been teaching in Denver, but I wasn't paying the bills teaching. I was paying the bills with software. Right, right. Um, and that's so, a huge pay cut, too, <laughs> I'm sure. That is a significant pay cut. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's a significant pay cut. But it's okay. I mean, I look at some of the things that I purchased when I was making a software salary, mm -hmm. and I look at that, I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's true, just because you can. Yeah. Man, so how do you feel like your – I mean, let's look at your life at – as a whole back when you were in that corporate atmosphere, your social life, your, you know, your mental health, your physical, and then where you are now with the studio. And even though I'm sure studio work is, can be stressful with administrative tasks and training your employees and, and all that comes with it. Can you give me a little overview or comparison of corporate life to now life and what you see? Yeah. You know, there's a lot that's different. Uh, for one, I sleep now, which <laughs> when I was in corporate America, um, I didn't sleep for the last two and a half years properly. Mm. So 
I realized that after I quit. I was like, wow, I haven't slept for more than maybe five to six hours a night for over two years and caught up on the weekends with naps. It was super unhealthy. So wow. I sleep properly now and I'm substantially happier. And <laughs> my day-to-day life, you know, I, I really love everything that I do at the studio. Hmm. Except vacuuming. I don't like vacuuming. But aside from that... <laughs> if that's the only thing, then yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't like taking out the trash either. But aside <laughs> from those two, I really love everything that I do. I even love the bookkeeping. I love mm. refolding the blankets because there are blankets for our studio. I mean... Yeah. I really love what I do. I love teaching. And I've collected a really great group of people. And you mentioned that earlier, right? That yeah. I've collected. You really yeah, have. Yeah, we brought some really good people on board because we were very, I keep saying we, I know it sounds like I own the studio with someone else, I don't, but um, it just always feels like it's a collaboration because so many people sure. like, reach out and help. But I've heard people that really, really want to teach for the sake of the student and mm. people that get in the front of the room because they want to help people. Yeah. And that's, that's very apparent from the classes that I've been to. Yeah, thank you. So life is totally different. I also um, have a lot less money in my checking account. <laughs> and I don't go out as frequently. And I don't buy crazy, awesome, beautiful fry boots. <laughs> but I'm so much happier. Hmm. So much happier. So that's, much happier. That's really... Yeah. That's a huge, I think quality of life then is just, it becomes the major metric that I think a lot of people measure their life and their happiness and their contentment by paychecks or by, you know, status in the office or what it looks like to other people. And and don't get me wrong, I think there's a lot of value to corporate America and I'm not meaning for my books and my podcast and my mission to be anti-corporate because I think for some people that is their dance. That's totally where they get fired up and they love the energy of it and the and the go, go, go and all of it and they feed off of that. And I think it's my mission at least with bringing people like you, Pina, or or other people that I've interviewed, the point is more to just bring out the fact that cookie cutter America lifestyle may or may not be the right fit for every single person and then to highlight these beautiful stories of transformation that show that there are so many possibilities out there and that it really is you know an endless playground of options and if we actually take the time instead of falling into default we can create some really cool opportunities and experiences for ourselves like you said was figuring out okay I know now that I love yoga how do I get that into my life more which I think is a great question I totally agree with you and you know what the other thing I'd highlight is that in addition to the fact that um you know the the sort of not necessarily the prescribed, it's, it's a little bit more prescribed lifestyle. Mm. It might not be for everyone, but it also like might not be for everyone at all times. Like at one time, yeah. that was great for me. There was a time Same. when corporate America totally floated my boat and I was happy and I was enjoying myself and I felt challenged and I felt appreciated and I loved the people I worked with and I loved going to work. Yeah, There Same. was that time. Mm-hmm. But then it ended and I held on like 
like a relationship that's no longer in balance that you want to revive, but it's time to let go. I held on too long. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's do something totally different. Absolutely. I think that's where a lot of, I mean, in relation, intimate relationships too, you come to that point where it's, do I invest more in this and make it work? Or is this the signal that I need to cut and start a new chapter? And I think we all face that at different moments in our careers and our lives. Um, But it's, yeah, it really, what do you think was your kind of turning point when you said, all right, this isn't going to be, I mean, was it the job promotion situation? Was that kind of your moment? It actually happened about two and a half years before that. Oh, whoa. (laughs) Yeah. When I was, I mean, that's when I started to really realize I, I wasn't, I wasn't happy and fulfilled. Yeah. Um, it's when the two people got promoted over me in one week that I was like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. That was the, yeah. But the beginning of it was when I and, um, the other executives, the previous company I worked at, were trying to purchase the company from the from the current owner. He wanted to sell and we wanted to buy and we worked hard to make it all fit together and we couldn't we couldn't figure out a balance where everyone felt like it was a fair deal so he ended up not selling but you know I wasn't happy and wasn't satisfied before we started talking about selling and yeah. then I got all fired up with this you know idea this opportunity the ability to like really make a mark to create something and then that was was extinguished that hope was extinguished when the deal fell apart um and ever since that point i had just been looking around trying to figure out what i was going to do next and i'd written probably three or four different business plans on three or four different ideas which i abandoned for one reason or another some of which other people have now done oh which is really interesting to watch that is Um, cool yeah and but i kept holding on because i was you know i was really comfortable where i was and I had a mortgage and I had a lifestyle and I didn't really have a serious fire. I I really had to let go. I had to fully let go of corporate America before I could take hold of something else. Yeah. Before I had the courage to take hold of something else. Absolutely. Was there a sense that this was the path you should be on from family or friends or what do you think kind of kept you in that in that role mentally even? You know, it really was just that I was, um, I was pretty good at it and, and I had a big network of people and it was just kind of what I'd always done. Mm. I mean, family and friends were totally fine with it, but they were never, they were never quote unquote supportive of, of what I was doing because it's not that it was a negative. It just wasn't an active positive. Oh, interesting. You know? It wasn't necessarily a dharma. It wasn't necessarily what I was supposed to be doing. With the yoga studios, some people got pretty fired up and were really supportive, yeah. especially when and you reach those points. I, I think that every new business owner reaches at least a couple of points where they think, I maybe shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Absolutely. That <laughs> right? voice is and, so prevalent. Uh-huh. And I had a great support system that they were saying, no, no, this is good. This is exactly what you should be doing. Wow. Yeah. And the best one was actually um, my partner, Mark, who um, was involved in mergers and acquisitions in New York, working for American Express for quite a while. So he's got his MBA and his merger and acquisition background. And 
Um, he's pretty good at evaluating companies and stocks, et cetera. And when I started to really doubt if this was a good idea, I remember him looking at me saying, I would be happy to invest if you want an investor. Ooh. If that's what you're worried about is money. Interesting. And yeah. And I looked at him, I was like, really? <laughs> and he said, he said, yeah, but keep in mind, this isn't your boyfriend saying, I want to invest. This is someone that likes to make money saying, I want to invest. And this is going to be successful. Whoa. I was like, okay, yeah. back on track. <laughs> so I had sort of like the, the black and white numbers side of Mark saying, stay with this. Yes. And then I had like, you know, my best friend who, as I was working on her doing some Reiki was saying, this is what you should be doing. Yeah. That was very supportive between the two of them. It really kind of kept my boat on course. Absolutely. I could see that being that those are the voices of the same yoga instructor who told you, you can do it and you can go further than you think you can. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. That's beautiful. And so what's your purpose now in owning the studio? So, I mean, my purpose of owning the studios is multifold. I mean, there's, there's obviously a very practical element of it supplies me with a way to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also the part that I really, really believe that we're here to help people heal. Mm. Both physically and, and emotionally as well. And, and I've heard stories from people that have gone through, you know, really, really troubling times in their lives. And they've said that the studio was a place that they always felt safe. Um, People that have been through, you know, really shocking car accidents and have come here afterwards and said, I feel safe in my body when I'm here. People Mm. with PTSD that say this helps me have less triggers and be more calm. Yeah. Like that's significant. Yeah. That's significant healing for people. So if we can just create this space and give people a little bit of instruction to help them figure out how to heal themselves, that's an enormous thing to do in a lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. What a legacy that creates, too. Yeah. So that's what we're focused on locally. You know, in addition, I would like to get more involved in um, the global conversation, particularly with uh, women and um, women in India in particular. Hmm. And it's not necessarily because yoga, you know, really was was born in India. It's just the fact that the oppression of women and the role of women in India to me is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Heartbreaking. So we actually are working with an organization by the name of Shataka out of uh, Golden, Colorado, and they raise money for women-led organizations in India that support girls and women at risk. So I'd like to continue our engagement with them. We're talking about maybe doing a uh, retreat next year that would start off with a few days of service working for some of those organizations that help girls and women at risk and then doing a yoga and meditation retreat to follow. Oh, how cool. Yeah, I think it would be nice to start with giving. Yes, absolutely. And with receiving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the the whole thing, it sounds like, is a giving endeavor. I mean, meditation can be a form of service, especially for those of you who are running it. Um, I agree with that. But absolutely. That sounds like a a great blending of ideas. Yeah, I feel fantastic about it. And people seem really turned on by the idea of a yoga retreat that also includes some some service and has um, 
I don't know, maybe a little bit more soul searching in it. You know, I've heard that the secret to living is giving and to create a retreat that is focused on that. I feel like that just draws out of people their best version of themselves whenever someone is in service. It just sounds like you're setting them up for a very powerful experience in serving and then getting to kind of fully integrate it into them with the meditation. It just sounds like a very, like a win-win for everyone involved. What a great observation. I hadn't thought about it like that. (laughs) Yeah, you're totally right. It does. It does sort of open up some different channels by spending a few days in service. It does sort of bring out a little bit different side of yourself than the one that goes to work and goes to the grocery store and does the grocery shopping, does the laundry and everything else. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I love that. Thanks, Molly. Of course. Well, yeah, yeah. and that's where I see, I mean, where you are today is so much more powerful because of that aspect of service. Like your whole studio is founded on that rock of service versus I, and that's, I think that's my one problem with corporate stuff is just that it becomes very much an ego or a self-centered, you know, how do I move forward? Or even if you do love what you're doing, um, it's so hard to kind of separate from the bottom line. And yet the work that I would love that I love doing that I see other people light up in is when they really feel like they're making a difference in other people's lives. Yeah, I agree. That's but at the same time, I have a lot of respect for like this the the flexibility that corporate America can bring to a lifestyle, which sounds counterintuitive because everyone's like, "Well, corporate America is not flexible. You have to be there when you have to be there." Well, this is all true, but at the same time, they pay for your health care, mm-hmm. and if it doesn't work out at this company, you can probably take your skills to another company, and then the time that you're not working. You can invest in your family, your kids, like being a triathlete, whatever it is that floats your boat. And there's more security in the cash flow, which, as you know, as a new business owner, that is definitely not a point of security. That's right. That's the point where you keep staying focused on what's happening now. What's the right thing to do right now? Make wise decisions and keep believing it's all going to fall into place as it should. And a lot of times it does. Yeah. Well, and speaking of where would you say, or can you tell me about a specific time when you've had a challenge in new business ownership and then how you were able to overcome it or get through it? Yeah. My, my biggest challenge really, I'm giggling to myself because my biggest challenge was probably dealing with some of the construction of the studio, but that's <laughs> over now. So that's good. <laughs> just leave that alone. I hear um, any construction can be very stressful. Yeah, right. I mean, like every. I mean, I said to one of my friends who owns or used to own anyway. Um, he used to own a construction business, and I was complaining to him, saying everything's over budget and everything's behind schedule. And he looked at me over his beer and said, well, what did you expect? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. But aside from that, so that's just sort of par for the course. Yeah. Uh, It was, it was really the self doubt. It it was really thinking that I didn't have the right skills to do it, that I wouldn't be able to be successful, that I didn't know what I was doing, that I shouldn't be trying to bite off something so big. That was really the toughest part. And, hmm. and then it just comes back to a support network. I mean, Mark backing me up 
was fantastic. And I didn't have a doubt one day. I mean, I had a doubt multiple days. Absolutely. You know, and Mark, every time coming back with, you know, I'll invest. I'm like, okay, I know. (laughs) And then some of my really good girlfriends, some of whom are yogis, some of whom aren't, they were all super supportive as well. Hmm. And I got wise enough to realize that there are some skills that I do not have a check in the box. So I looked for those people and I was lucky enough to find them. And I was fortunate enough that they wanted to be here and they were part of the team mm. and the studio to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, so not everything, that's, right? that's a big, I think, lesson that I've been working through. And I actually was just having a conversation with a friend about it today, but that balance between, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are multi-talented, we'll say, and, you know, probably can do most everything by themselves. And it's very tempting to do everything by ourselves because we're in control and we're competent and, you know, then we have our hands in all the different areas and can make sure everything is right, quote unquote. Have you found the challenge of, of asking for support versus being kind of an individual and having the pride of ownership? Have you found that to be difficult at all? It was, it's not now. And it's funny because you ask me and it's, it's like so far not in my head that I don't remember the events. All I remember Hmm. is I remember saying to myself and joking with my friends that my new mantra was, I don't have the right answer. I just have an answer. So I really had to, and it, it was probably a couple of months of me saying that over and over. I really had to retrain myself to accept the fact that I don't have all the right answers and that that's okay. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right? That's huge. Yeah. That's well, it's huge. huge. As entrepreneurs, like, we tend to, like, come at things pretty self-sufficient. Yes. And I had to realize, I'm like, I don't always know. And, and I'm really, really open to asking opinion of the people that are around me. And it used to feel very threatening to hear other people's opinions because if their opinions were different than mine, then I wasn't bright enough. Mm. Or if they would highlight something that I hadn't considered, then that's just proof that I really shouldn't be doing this. But I don't feel like that anymore. I feel like like my job is to create this space where students want to teach and instructors, or excuse me, students want to practice and instructors want to teach. Yes. Um, that's my job. My job isn't to have all the right answers. My job isn't to have the perfect marketing plan. So when someone comes in and says, you can do X, Y, Z with Facebook and Meetup, I'm like, really? Whereas I used to resist. Me too, yeah. Ego said, you should already know that. Now I'm like, mm, I know it now. Let's run with it. It's been a big shift. That's, it's been a big shift. That's, to me, a mark of true humility and something I definitely have worked on myself a lot um, because I definitely can be that lone wolf when I let myself go that way. <laughs> but um, even last year, I know I had a similar experience with my Kickstarter project and you know, it's so tempting to say I wanted to do my books and everything on my own and figure out how. And at one point, someone mentioned to me that that was an option. And I kind of had thought about it, but brushed it aside. And then it was that kind of like, maybe you should listen to someone else for a change voice that said, you know, maybe I do need help. And maybe I do need to ask for support. And, and what came out of it actually was the lesson of yes, asking people for support, but being more committed. I think this was the key point was being, I was more committed to my vision than I was to my ego. Yes. 
Yes. And that's when it shifted. When I was like, I don't care how many people I need to call. I sent over a thousand emails directly. I put it on Facebook everywhere. I made phone calls. I was on it every single day for the 27 days that my campaign ran. And, you know, I called people I had not talked to in a long time and, you know, asked them for support. And this is what I want to create. And gosh darn it, if it doesn't happen now, it's going to happen at some point because it's it's going to happen. <laughs> and that was kind of my mantra too, which I love that it's a very similar experience there. But yeah, I think being more committed to a vision than to our ego starts to create some beautiful unfoldment because otherwise we lock our own doors and then say we have no options. Yeah. And did you find that liberating to commit to the vision? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it was finally just, I don't know, that point when you stop caring what other people think. <laughs> and it's like, whatever. If you don't want to donate, it doesn't offend me. That's your choice. But there are lots of people who will and who will support. And I'll go talk to them. And the fact is, this needs to come to fruition. And however that happens, um, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, that's what I love seeing and definitely feel that same energy from you, which is great. It's not without effort. Mm -mm. It's not as if the ego is like, oh, you don't need me? Great, I'm going to go on vacation. <laughs> no. Right? So every once in a while, it still comes back. It's like, uh, you should have known that. Um, you don't need to listen to that person. Yeah. And you have to look at it and say, I appreciate the fact that you're trying to help. But what I'm trying to accomplish is more important than how you feel. So get over yourself. Let's keep opening up. Yeah. 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 Wow. And I think, actually, I was just thinking about that on my run the other day. Similar thing um, there where, you know, something starts to hurt and I can either choose to let that make me start walking or I can choose to say, great, well, if I don't care if that hurts, then I can keep going. And maybe yes. it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> yes. Yes, totally. Totally. Which... Totally. Totally. <laughs> Resonates. <laughs> thing I love talking about when I'm teaching is getting comfortable with the discomfort. Yeah, absolutely. There it is. You know, I mean, poses, hip openers like pitching, great example. People are sitting there for three and a half minutes, you know, and every once in a while you see someone fidget or their body's really saying, I want to get out. Mm -hmm. I'm like, pain is pain. If you're in pain, I invite you to move away from pain. Yeah. But if you're uncomfortable, I invite you to stick with it. Yeah. Getting used to pain, like, or getting used to discomfort, that's just, that's just a great life skill in general. Yeah. And you can cultivate that on your mat. You can cultivate that running. You can cultivate that in meditation for two hours. And it does transfer into how you interact with the world. It gives you a little bit, it gives you a bigger toolkit of how to interact with the world. It gives mm. you more choices of how to interact with the world. And I love that. I like that idea, too, that it gives us more choices or that toolkit of, yeah, because if, if, you know, I used to live my life very, um, I would kind of say linear, linearly that, you know, if something hurt, then I only had this option. Or if I was tired, my only option was to sleep. Like, that was kind of my mode or whatever it was. But you know, now that I've kind of started opening it up, um, even in the turn, like as small as it is, you know, I've spent a lot of time in cold weather recently 
And for a long time, I thought my only option was to either get inside and stop being outside (laughs) or like only look forward to the hot tub or the hot shower at the end of the day. And then someone uh, told me, they're like, if I'm ever cold, it just means I'm not working hard enough. I was like, whoa, what a concept. And uh, I'll go. Go ahead. Well, here's another one that came to me from one of my fellow yoga instructors who used to be um, a mountain bike racer. And she was at the beginning of a race and feeling sort of the pre-race anxiety jitters. And so she was talking to one of the racers next to her about that physical feeling. Hmm. And the other racer was like, that's what I live for. She's like, what? Like, this is why I race for this feeling right here, because I know I'm so alive. Yes, absolutely. Right? And, and I thought, I'm like, wow, wow, wow. I mean, being on the top of the high dive, like, you know you're alive, because you're trying something new. Yeah. Like, you're putting yourself out on the edge. You're trying to find out how far to the to the edge you can get. I love it. Yeah, that, and that's why I love performing, because I feel that feeling, and it feels so alive. And it's... Mm-hmm. You know, the audience is right there and you get an immediate response or a lack of response or whatever it is and you don't know what's coming and it's it's open to anything. It could be amazingly great and that's like that's the thing that makes me hopeful for every single performance or dance competition is that what's the potential of the greatness we could create and how we just don't know until we get out there. But if I keep sitting at home and yeah, whatever I get stuck into, then I'll never know. I love that. And I'll definitely be highlighting these notes in the show notes because I think these are just important ideas to share regardless of yoga or not. Um, Being able to cultivate that practice or exercise that muscle that we have so many more options than we realize, that's that's what it's all about is opening that up and opening ourselves up to possibility. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say as you're redefining yourself and redefining, you know, the way you look at the work that sustains you and, and how you're being sustained, what would you say is now your philosophy on work, quote unquote? If you don't like it, you don't need to do it. <laughs> um, that's a little simplistic, isn't it? But that's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> I don't work. Mm. You know, I mean, I, I make a living and I spend my time doing what I love. And that sounds super cliche, right? It sounds sure. like it yeah. belongs on a podcast. <laughs> but I mean it. I don't work. That's huge. It's enormous. It's enormous. And my whole life is better balanced. My whole life, it, even though I'm working 70 hours a week, my life is still better balanced. Yeah. Which is the crazy thing. Because I'm putting a lot of, like, physical time into the studio. And, like, time is time. We only have 24 hours in a day. Everyone gets the same allotment. When it's over, it's over. Yeah. But um, but everything just functions better. And I'm, I'm on top of things. I, you know, it used to be that when I worked all the time, I, you know, bills would get behind or laundry would get behind or I'd forget to pick up the dry cleaning before I had to go to the airport again or something. And life just functions well, I guess, because I'm really present with it. Mm, That's an interesting point. I was just thinking about how often I see, 
you know, good friends of mine who I know are doing work that they, that challenges them. And, and I think that is, I mean, it's not that you're not challenged in what you do. And I'm sure that there could be people who would be put in a yoga studio who wouldn't like the job that that is and would find that extremely difficult and challenging, but it's made for you. And that's where it doesn't, it doesn't conflict with how you feel in terms of, you know, am I sprinting and never catching up or am I just running this race and enjoying the whole thing? Um, there's a great quote and I think it hasn't been attributed to the right person. I've tried to research the origin of the quote and haven't found a distinct answer, but, um, real quick, I'll just share it. And I think this kind of sums up where you are, which I love. Um, it's called, or it starts, a master in the art of living draws no sharp distinction between his work and his play, his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his education and his recreation. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues his vision of excellence through whatever he is doing and leaves others to determine whether he is working or playing. To himself, he always appears to be doing both. Yeah. That you totally hit it. That completely resonates in every way. That that to me is the sweet spot. Yeah. I would love everyone to be able to feel that. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't come without focus. Mm-mm. No, and unfortunately, there's not a money tree in my backyard. And as much as my lifestyle is different and I don't care, there are still bills. I mean, I still need to get my windshield replaced because I live in Summit County. It gets hot and cold and it cracked. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, there are still things that definitely need currency so that you can keep living your life. But it's so much easier to maintain focus when you, what you're doing comes as a natural part of your life. mm just natural part of your living. That's a great point too to bring up is sustainability. You know, what is actually, like you said, sustainable for the rest of your working years? And maybe this will be the whole part of it, or maybe this is a chapter, but at the same time, corporate was great when I was excited to work through every single weekend and excited about those opportunities. And then it shifted and soon that wasn't, it didn't fit anymore. And it wasn't sustainable, honestly. I was heading very quickly for burnout, and I think a lot of people are. Um, so they turn to food or alcohol or drugs to numb it and or TV or whatever it is. Um, for shopping. For me, it was for sure shopping. Oh, wow. Yeah. So all of us have that like escape mechanism just to kind of numb out or veg out at the end of the day when, when we really don't like what we do. But I know for myself, I've seen that the more I'm into what I like – the more it fuels the rest of my life. And I come home and I want to clean and organize or I want to be on top of things or reach out to other people. It's just such an outward feeling rather than, okay, now I have to go recharge. I have to go be inward, which is, I think, an interesting distinction. And it's crazy because when you first get here, you're like, what? I didn't know this really existed. (laughs) Is this allowed? You got to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Am I going to be written up for this? Yeah. And then it just becomes your lifestyle. I literally have been overwhelmed by gratitude more than once and just sat down on the floor of the studio and cried. Mm. And, and I, a couple of times, several times, 
during the first four or five months the studio was open, it was not unusual for me to get choked up at the end when I was just thanking people for letting me be here because, because I couldn't, I couldn't be here if, if the students didn't want to share their time and their practice with us. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I mean, like I've said, closing my class more than once, every time I teach, this is a little part of my dream coming true and Ugh. you're allowing it to be, to come to fruition. And I'm so grateful for that. That's yeah. I don't think I ever said that about my job in corporate America, even when I was excited and inspired. I don't think I ever felt like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And what yeah. a, what a real substantial distinction to make. You know, I think I'm not a parent, but I could see parents being in that same boat, you know, even though it's hard to have kids, um, you know, and the work and the lack of sleep and the everything that comes with it. And yet there's tears of joy and there's, there's a sense of service and of being outwardly focused. Um, this is, this is your baby. This is your, your child that you would do anything for. And, and just to be part of that growth, I'm sure is a beautiful unfoldment and progression to, to witness. It is. It is, yeah. Well, this is something that I've I've come across with quite a number of people who've made a large change in their life. Um, I've found that that I would say, off the top of my head, eighty percent of the people that I've talked to have some kind of a mission statement or at least a belief about how things can be and what they want to create or what it is that drives them. Do you feel like you have that kind of a mission statement or a driving force that's led this whole charge? You know, I don't, I don't have a mission statement for sure. Um, but I do have a pretty deep seated belief that, that I'm here to help people figure out how to heal mm. a lot of different people on a lot of different levels. I, I really believe that that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Hmm. And and I believe that I knew that before I started even teaching yoga. I knew that before I even started teaching yoga. There were times that, yeah, well, without getting, <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling to figure out how to get into this one. So there there were times that I was practically I was essentially doing energy healing before I was even trained in energy healing. And I was actually going to just ask about that because I that to me sounds like you were paving the path in that direction well before you were on it. I was, I was. And in particular, a friend of mine who, um, whose best friend took his own life. And, uh, I was with her a few days afterwards and she was literally gray. I mean, she was so overcome with grief and, um, and I did a little bit of energy and physical work. Um, like her shoulders and traps and neck were just like a rock pile. Oh, wow. So I did, I did some physical and some energy work on her, which she kept refusing. And I was like, well, you're going to have to leave the room then because I'm going to work on your body and your body's in front of me. So do that for you. <laughs> and after, uh, after about 20 minutes, I literally could feel the grief rolling off of her body onto mine. And then I let it roll off of mine onto the floor. I could feel the grief. It was such an amazing experience. And after I was done with that, 
she had all the color in her face. She had all this energy. She's like, what did you do? What did you do? I can't believe how good I feel. This is unbelievable. Wow. You know? And at that point, like, that was the first real moment of me on the path that I'm on now. So I think that, I think I've, you know, the world has been trying to tell me for a while that this is where I was supposed to be. Absolutely. I don't know if people believe in signs or whatnot, but I do believe that we get nuggets on the path that reaffirm and they're just kind of like a, yep, you're on the right path. Keep going. Just these little moments like that every now and then. Yeah. And I could have taken that multiple directions. I could be a Reiki practitioner. I could be, you know, a body practitioner, body healer, um, Mm -hmm. massage therapist, but I chose to be here and this works. And I definitely feel like I'm in service doing what I'm doing. And I love that. Yeah. Another, another piece of language that I wasn't comfortable with when I was in the corporate world was the idea of being in service. Mm, Um, Interesting. I wanted to have respect for it. I didn't really have respect for it then. Interesting. I mean, I was surrounded by a culture that didn't value it. And it's so easy to just fall into the current of that culture, of whatever that culture is, and the beliefs and the philosophies that come with it, that I can easily see how that would become normalized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, perfect word. It becomes normalized. Interesting. And and that's what's neat is that I also think that the studio provides you that that doorway to your past life. I mean, you are so good at all of the things that you were doing. It's, you know, it would be kind of a shame to let those skills atrophy or or to leave it completely behind. But I'm sure there's structure and there's disciplines and there's, you know, the know-how of running a business or seeing a business run that creates, you know, a great foundation for you to to build on and to feel competent and comfortable in the business side and also get to feed your yoga side and your healer side, which I think is a really neat balance. Yeah. And it's, I'm really fortunate to have that balance because a lot of people that are um, massage therapists, healers, yoga studio owners, instructors, like they don't have the business background and they haven't been exposed to what I've been exposed to. So um, they don't have the same opportunity to know how to build a really solid business plan and how to adjust it. There's just a million small things that go into how you choose to run the operations that are different. Yeah. If you've been exposed to that for a long amount of time, you know, and the sales training and, and the different types of sales training and realizing things that you go through that you're like, "Mm, that just doesn't resonate with me because it's totally self-serving. And then you go through some sales training that's super smart. That basically says the only thing that matters is your customer. Mm. everything needs to focus around them that's why you exist absolutely and so it's not only like from a business perspective super reasonable but it's also like emotionally sort of fulfilling too because you have a for-profit organization that's actually focused externally like sales training like that really helped me change how I did my pricing our Mm. policies, all kinds of stuff. Our $5 class on Sunday morning. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had the experience that I had. There's a great, well, I want to say kind of new age wave, but I'm thinking about classics like Zig Ziglar or Jim Rohn who kind of have already pioneered the, the philosophies that I think a lot of us are going back to, which are, you know, really being focused on the end user 
and creating such an amazing experience for them that they have no choice but to become loyal to the brand, to the company, and to treat them like humans, because they are. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, how mind-blowing is that? And yet, we've, I think a lot of, a lot of big-box businesses have gotten so far away from that that they start shouting to the masses and forget that the masses is made up of, you know, one-to-one conversations, and yet, if we turn it around and just have those one-to-one conversations, even if it is going to the masses, it's such a different experience as a company to a customer. Gosh. But I just, yeah, I'm, I could nerd out about that for a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are the books that I read, like, late at, not late at night, but by choice. The, the marketing and the sales and the building brands books, but... Yeah, anyway, I love that stuff. So, and it's it's very clear when when companies have that energy versus a you're more of a number kind of energy. So, always yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer that if you really are super clear on sort of how you want to treat people. Yeah. And going back to how I started yoga, I mean, I wasn't an athlete. I didn't feel great about my body. And so it was really really important to me that people felt welcome when they were here. Yeah. Really wanted people to feel welcome when they were here. And when you start with a clear intention of what you really want to create and you're committed to it, I I was flabbergasted to see that it would manifest. I was flabbergasted at the number of people that would say, it has such great energy here. I feel so welcome here. Sometimes at other studios, I feel like I'm just a number here. I feel like you guys really care about us. Wow. I was like, it's working. It's really working. (laughs) Well, of course it's working. And it's, it's working because I think that if you're really committed to it, it starts to affect all your decisions. Mm. It starts to affect small things of, do you look people in the eye when you're talking to them? Like, do you let them ask the whole question before you answer it? Wow. Are you willing to deviate from the policy when it's the right time to? But do you have a policy so that everyone sort of understands the rules? When your staff asks for something special, do you say yes or do you say no? Do you try to find ways to make their life better and keep a successful business thriving? Like, it's just affects everything. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that vision makes it so clear on what belongs and what doesn't. Yes. You need to know what your north is. Yeah. If I love that. If you know what your north is, you don't know how to make decisions. Mm. That's huge. That's huge. I yeah. love that. Know and where so you, can't, you can't take a philosophy and frost it on top of a rotting cake. You have to start with a real intention that's that matters, that you're committed to. And, and then it'll manifest all over the place. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it was you and I who were having that conversation, but when we when we see companies who create a philosophy or a, you know, these are our values, and then especially the upper management doesn't follow those, then it undermines the entire corporation. Yeah. And it, it kills the culture and it kills the trust. Because if they're not their word, then where can you trust them on anything? And, and it, it was a bizarre trend. I don't know, maybe it still exists, to create mission statements and put a list of values and posters on the wall. So I always thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. Like, what is this is internal marketing. Are you serious? Exactly. <laughs> it's marketing if it's not real. Yes. But yes. I think it's okay to 
to put those up there if that actually is how you live your life and if it just continues to reinforce it. But I agree with that. I agree with that. I guess a little bitterness came out there. No, I, I feel I, you though. I feel you. Yeah. I had the experience of having things like, like you said, there are things that are being um, promoted as, as the tenets of the culture, but then they're not followed. Right. Yeah. And that's, it's just, it's a, it's a toxic energy that sucks away from authenticity among all the people and, and every interaction. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's hard to verbalize because I think we all know what it feels like when you're in that kind of an atmosphere. So. Yeah, and people don't just work for money. People work for a lot of other reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So. So understanding, I think, and I mean, obviously I'm still learning this, but I probably will be for the rest of my life, but understanding how to really tap into what people need as employees and try to deliver it to the best of my ability so that they have a space where they want to do and be their best. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't win? The employee wins and the customers win and the business wins. Everyone wins. Yeah, and it just takes a little more effort to dive in and, and find out what motivates this person and then how do I get it to them or how do I put them in that opportunity to achieve something that they're proud of. Yeah. It's not that hard. Come on. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not that hard. It's not that hard. But, you know, you need to be in an environment where there's enough space for it to be a priority. Yes. Yes, and and leadership of whatever company or group that is really does affect the whole. So it's no wonder your leadership has brought in people like that and creates a culture like that where, yeah, the first day I came in, you said hello and you shook my hand over the desk and, you know, I felt like I was part of, like, I should belong in Summit County if I were to be there, you know, that kind of a thing, which I think is, is a beautiful thing and that's what kept me coming back. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. That's really nice to hear. Of course. Of course. Well, who, we're just going to wrap up a little bit here, but tell me who, where you go for inspiration or who inspires you. You know, I was thinking about that question and um, I really don't, I don't have like one or two figures that, that I go to for inspiration. Um, I would say that, I'm, I'm always looking for, I'm always looking for, for experiences that people have or things that they exhibit that are inspirational to me. And you see it all the time. You see it in students and in other instructors and instructors at other studios and instructors on yoga glow and Mm. articles in the paper. Like, and I know it kind of sounds like a wishy-washy answer, but, but it's true. Well, yeah, if we're open to it, it's everywhere. There are people to learn from all over the place. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm really fortunate to have such an amazing partner. Like Mark is, is fantastic. And there are some things that he does in ways that he thinks and approaches life that, that I definitely respect and try to um, cultivate within my own self. Mm-hmm. But I, I can say the same thing about one of my instructors, Brittany, who actually um, just went back to Tennessee at the end of the season and, and the way she approaches life, I find to be really inspirational. Yeah. So I, I could go through the list. I mean, really, most of the people that I'm close to, 
there are characteristics that they exhibit that I find to be amazing. That's why they're in my closest group. Yeah. And it's a, it's a self-fueling machine then. And speaking of, what, what are you most grateful for today? Those two people getting promoted over me in one week. <laughs> that is actually a really cool way to turn it around. Yeah. Yeah, I realized that one day. One day when we, we were building out the studio and I was coming to the studio and I was just so happy. And I had felt, obviously, my ego was really bruised when I didn't get the promotion. And then yeah. I wanted to blame it on my boss. And then I wanted to blame it on me. I blamed everybody. And then I was driving to the studio one day and I just started laughing. And out loud, I like thanked my boss in the car. Obviously, he was not there. <laughs> um, I was like, thank you for not promoting me. Thank you. Because mm. I wouldn't be here if he had. Yeah. That's amazing. In my comfortable, but but not necessarily emotionally nutritious environment. Oh, I like that emotionally nutritious. Yeah, it's amazing how you know I, I coach a lot of people, and sometimes they'll come to me with these big, you know, kind of earth shattering moments at different points. And it's easy for me as someone, a third party bystander, who could see how this could turn into. A huge blessing but when you're in it it's so hard to see any good that could ever come out of this awful situation and yet you know your life is a testament to sometimes our biggest upsets are actually our biggest blessings absolutely that's absolutely i love that well yeah. what what would you say then is your definition of living your dance um I don't know how to put this in words because it doesn't sound very exciting or compelling, but I live in this sense of calm and gratitude almost all the time. Mm. And it's a really beautiful way to go through the day. And that's for me, that's living my dance. Wow. And what a, a huge difference. I, I can imagine you saying from, where you came from to where you are. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man. Yeah. But you know, and I imagine that it's going to take a different form. I mean, I don't know if in 20 years I'm still going to be teaching yoga. My body will be different. I'll obviously be 20 years older. But I hope I keep finding a way to, like, keep sowing those fields so that calm and gratitude maintain my homeostasis, maintain, like, my norm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is something that's very achievable, very sustainable in whatever form it takes, of course. Yeah. Oh, so. That's beautiful. Well, for okay. those for those people who aren't in Summit County or want to connect with you and, and who you are and or even if they do happen to come to Summit County, how do they find you or how can they support you and your message and what you're up to? Yeah, so we are at peakyogastudio.com. And that's P-E-A-K. I'll put it in the show notes. Yep, P-E-A-K, yogastudio.com. Okay. Yeah. We are up in Summit County, and we're open every day except for Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. And and if they want to get involved or support you with your work with the Women in India and that organization, is there a way to connect there? 
Um, you know, we don't have that as a part of the website yet, but that should be, there should be a component on the website for that, um, within the next 30 days. Oh, good. Okay. So they'll be, they'll be able to get to the partners. There are actually three not-for-profits that we work with and we have a donation only class once a month for one of those three. Oh, great. So there'll be links on the website and there'll be opportunities to donate and, um, and also information on when we have the donation only classes. Yeah. Great. Well, I'll link those up too as soon as they're available so that people can be sure to support if they'd like to, if they're interested. But Pinna, thank you so much. This was such a blessing to share and hear your stories and the insights. I just, I feel very full with, with inspiration and with lots of good nuggets for the rest of my day. I know a lot of people will too. So thank you so much for your journey and for that the fact that it's brought you here and that we're able to do this together today. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity. Having someone that wants to hear my story is fantastic. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, Molly. Of course, of course. Well, thank you all and have a good day. All right, bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thanks again for listening and be sure to like, share, and comment on the podcast or around social media. Hashtag live your dance and look forward to more episodes coming your way. Have a great day and be sure to live your dance. This is, and you get to learn Skype more, so it's like a win-win. I, you know what, I feel like I grew already. <laughs>